This message is a ministry of Plainville Baptist Church. www.plainvillebaptistchurch.org Today, Psalm 82, we're going to talk about the dangerous, the deadly dangers of democracy. God takes his stand in his own congregation. He judges in the midst of the rulers. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Selah. Vindicate the weak and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and destitute. Rescue the weak and needy. Deliver them out of the hand of the wicked. They do not know, nor do they understand. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I said, you are gods, and all of you are sons of the Most High. Nevertheless, you will die like men and fall like any one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for it is you who possesses all the nations. Let's pray. Father, open our hearts to your word this morning. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Help us to understand your word. Apply it to our own hearts. May you teach us this morning. Help me to speak your word clearly and with your power, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, in, in describing the dangers of democracy, I understand that no one chooses the governmental system under which they are born. And I'm not saying that democracy is necessarily worse than any other form of government. I don't deny that this particular form of government has been the source of blessings from God for many, for many years. We've been able to see the work of the gospel go forth into the world because of it. And yet, what we understand is that when you are in a particular thing, you often don't examine it for its flaws. Fish don't examine the water in which they swim. They don't say, you know what, this particular water isn't so good. And I know that there are plenty of other more sinister forms of government than democracy. Atheistic communism, cruel dictatorships, a socialism that minimizes personal responsibility, and yet, perhaps the problem with democracy is not so much democracy itself, but the human heart. And there will be no perfect form of government, no perfect system until Jesus Christ returns as King of kings and Lord of lords. But there are dangerous aspects of democracy because of our wicked hearts by which you may very well already be affected and not know it because you are living in the midst of it. And so, I want to point them out. And you can all say thank you now. But I hope you'll consider these elements and repent over what wrong action or attitudes 
that you have been caught up in because of this system we have found ourselves in. And again, uh, don't, I'm, I'm not implying in any fashion as I say this that somehow uh, democracy is demonically influenced, but understand this, that there is an opportunity for democracy to be used by the devil to carry out his purposes. And if you understand the end time scenario as it's going to unfold, you may note that democracy has a place in the peaceful conquest of the Antichrist. It's more likely that the Antichrist will rise to power through election and political intrigue rather than by a military coup. The problem for you and me living under this democracy, the condemning problem is that without the foundation of Scripture and a fear of God, it becomes our country's greatest nightmare. John, Adam, John Adams said, Our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate for the governance of any other. And William Penn said, Men must be governed by God or they will be ruled by tyrants. This warning... The trouble with democracy today is a statement that not only these men brought to light, but that Psalm 82 speaks to us of. And I believe the warning for us here, as it says in Psalm 82, is that democracy makes us all gods. It makes us all gods whom the Lord condemns in this passage. Let me explain what he means by that. In verse 6 he said, I said you are gods, and you are all sons of the Most High. Nevertheless, you will die like men and fall like any one of the princes. You see, if you want to understand the personal dangers to you in living under this, this, this kind of government without a foundation of a love of Scripture and a fear of God, we will not be ruled in righteousness, but by the tyranny of the majority. And therein lies the problem. The scripture promises righteousness exalts any nation. Sin is a reproach to any people. And think about, as we think about Psalm 82, consider your precarious position under this government. In Psalm 82, the, the, the Lord is calling out these leaders of Israel. He's referring to them specifically in, these, in their leadership position. These gods, if you would, for their impious leading of the nation. And he calls them gods because of the power that they wield. A better translation of verse 1 would be, God takes his stand among the gods. He judges in the midst of the gods. God is calling forth. The Lord is calling forth these gods, little g, for judgment. He's bringing them into court, and he is going to lay out the accusations against them. And they will find out, gods as they may be, they will die like men. They are not special because God has given them, allowed them this authority, this power. 
And so, as we see this, the psalmist concludes this psalm by calling God to take his rightful place as God over all the nations. There is no God like the Lord. Verse 8, arise, O God, judge the earth. It is you who possesses all the nations. And so these uh, become great in their own sight because of the power that they possessed. And yet the Lord's judgment, because they mistreated, their position was to die like men. That means they wouldn't be considered great when they left this earth. They wouldn't be followed by a powerful posterity to rule in their place. They would die They would pass from the scene, be buried and forgotten. Now let me say, relatively few people in the history of mankind have been gods in this sense. It was for recent history to elevate many hundreds of thousands and millions to the place of God to rule on the earth. Very few have understood this power to decide the course of nations. Few have had such the weight of responsibility to take this title of God in the biblical sense that it's used here as being a powerful ruler. There's a weight of responsibility that falls upon the shoulders of those who would be gods. And it's not something to be taken lightly. We'll see examples of that. But here, this has found the problem with democracy. Number one, it deifies people. It deifies people. Since the Lord calls these leaders of the nation gods because of the power that they wield, that's the problem of democracy. It deifies people. We might better say it causes people to deify themselves. It puts power into the hands of people, perhaps many of them, who are better ought not to be imbued with this power. Because there is a great responsibility that falls upon everyone who rules. There is a responsibility with that. And democracy brings authority and responsibility on the heads of everyone. In our country, the heads of all who are of majority age. All who are under democracy might consider themselves gods. And without the right focus, the love of Scripture and the fear of God, those who are under this might become drunk with the authority that they have or feel that they have. Perhaps it's happened to you. You feel like you're in charge. What what does that do? It leads not to order and discipline without a love of the Scriptures and a fear of God. It leads to mob rule. It causes you to assume more authority than you actually have. It causes you to use your tongue in ways that are only fit for the kings of the past who had the responsibility for ruling a country justly, 
I've heard people say foolishly, let's hang everyone in charge and we'll put up our own people. You've become a god in your own eyes. You're talking beyond your authority. Or, I am the government. That's the folly of democracy. It may cause you to act in a manner beyond the scope of authority that you possess, such as opening up an autonomous zone in Seattle or rushing the Capitol building in Washington, D.C. Well, this is my building. No, you've just misappropriated its use. When that happens, you have defiled, you, you have de- deified yourself. God rules. You've forgotten. God rules over the affairs of men. And because the outcome that you see going on in our country is not what you think it should be, you take your place as God, you step on, up on your dais, your little platform as God, and you begin to shout words. As if by your power you can create your reality in the same way that God created the world by speaking the worlds into existence. You're taking upon yourself the place of God outside of your authority because you think you can get your outcome to happen for our country. At the same time, it's something you cannot control. You see, I want, to, I want you to understand this. We are living in such a place, such a time in history. Every nation has had its movement up and its movement down individually. But now we are at such a time in history that the world has moved up and it's on its way down. I would say from somewhere around 600 B.C., it's, it reached its pinnacle and it's moving down. And I think Scripture supports that. The Scripture says that Nebuchadnezzar was one of the... He was, they called him the king. The Bible called him the king of kings and lord of lords. Not Jesus. He wasn't above Jesus. But he was the king of kings. And every his kingdom was... was described as gold, the next kingdom silver, and then it went down to iron. And then iron, what we look forward to, what we look forward to when Antichrist comes is a government of iron and clay. That mixes well. We're on the way down. And we have to redeem the time because the days are evil. But let me tell you this, in this, you can say amen, you can cheer, you can clap. President Biden is moving the world toward antichrist. All right, do I hear? Okay, now, let me tell you a secret. President Trump has moved the world toward antichrist. Now, all of you who just said amen, and that's right, and you said, I want to hear that again. Because everyone, let me tell you, Christians are moving the world toward Antichrist. 
What? In 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter says, what are we to be doing? We are to be looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. That means we're to be hastening the day that the Antichrist comes. And we're to be doing that by sharing the word of God, the gospel of God with other people, of the grace of God. And so you're going to be hastening the day of God in one of two ways. Jesus said the gospel has to be preached in the whole world and then the end comes. But you can hasten it by giving out the gospel. You can hasten it by being disobedient. Which would you rather, which would you rather be doing for the time before you stand in front of Jesus Christ? You see, think about this. Who has made a pathway, who has made a roadway, the roadmap for peace in the Middle East? Probably nobody better than Donald Trump in the last four years than anyone else. And that's given impetus to the coming of Antichrist because what is he going to do? He is going to bring peace to the Middle East, not just with four Muslim uh, Muslim-dominated nations, but with all of them, so that they allow Israel to have a temple in its midst, and there is a peace, a precarious peace, as much as iron and clay mix, for three and a half years. He breaks his promises in the middle of that peace treaty. Power corrupts. Democracy is the source of man's deification that happens if we will not love the Scripture and fear God. Now, it's not to say that kings in the past have not had that same proud thought that I'm a God. But what it does is it throws it upon the whole populace. I mean, Nebuchadnezzar, what did he do when he stood up one day? And in Daniel chapter 4, he says, is this not Babylon, which I created by my power and the strength of my glory? And then it says at that, while the words were coming out of his mouth, God said, I'm taking your authority from you. But what usually happened in time past is the people in general were content to be just people and not gods. They understood the great weight of responsibility and power that came with ruling. They'd rather tend their vineyard and tend their place, do their work, and go on their way without that extra responsibility. Today, we take it on as if it's nothing. Oh, this is okay. This is just me. I can do this. In Genesis 3, that same kind of thing happened when Adam and Eve were tempted. You know, you'll be like God. They didn't understand that they were more like God now than if they were to step down by disobeying God. They were in the image of God. You fall, when do you fall into this trap of deifying yourself with this 
authority that we have, you get angry when things don't go your way in, your con- in our country. You, get, you become angry. You have a weight upon yourself concerning the terrible direction which our country is headed. Thirdly, you experience frustration at our elected leaders, and you believe that if the right leaders were in, everything would be in the way that it should. Fifthly, you take desire, you you have desire to take action into your own hands to correct the problem, and you think you'll succeed where others have failed. You use exaggerated or hyperbolic speech to call for action beyond your authority that you have. Oh, let's just hang them all. Oh, let's do the Capitol riots again the right way. You've deified yourself. You've not feared God nor loved the Scripture enough to consider that God is in control over all the nations. Secondly, what does democracy do? Number, number two, it removes God from his throne in your mind. That's the natural con- con- consequence of, of deifying yourself. When people lift themselves up to the status of God, there is little room for rivals. And so you take God down from his throne. In Psalm 145, though, the scripture says, God's kingdom is everlasting. His dominion endures through all generations even if you think you know better than God. You know what? The present leaders that we have in our country aren't the ones we need. God is still sovereign. God is still working, changing leadership, making better laws, changing the type of government we have. God is no less God. If, 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 if God is no more God if everyone in our country, all the leaders in our country, bow down to him. And God is no less God if all the leaders in our country bow down to the devil. God is not threatened in his position because of that. You know what? You think you're so right. I am right. I have it all figured out. You are attempting to usurp the God of heaven who is bringing this world and this country to prepare itself for the reception of Antichrist. Now, you may not put it in that terms, in those kinds of terms. I've got it all figured out. I, no, but that's how you're thinking. That's what's going on. Your pride, self-sufficiency is evident. Well, I know enough to rule our country. I know the secret counsels of the nations. I'm so smart. John writes of the boastful pride of life in his first letter. That's what went on in the garden when Eve saw that fruit and said, this is going to make me wise. That's the pride that caused them to fall. It's the pride that seeks to elevate ourself in this form of government. When Adam and Eve were given charge of the earth, by God, they were content to be mediators, to rule for God through Him. 
They understood that their authority was given by God and they were okay until they were tempted. When they sought then to unshackle themselves from God's authority, it engendered pride in their hearts. When you fail to see that any authority you have in this democratic republic, constitutional democratic republic, is given to you solely by God, and your response to Him and how you use it is in submission to Him in your conduct. And if you don't see that, if you fail to see that, your pride is unshackling yourself from God's authority, you're deifying yourself, and you're seeking to usurp God's throne from Him like Satan did. In Isaiah 14, Satan said, I will raise my throne above God. I will do all these things against Him. It was a matter of His will. This attempt to usurp God's authority may show itself in various ways. I'm not going to submit to the Lord's, I'm not going to submit my schedule to the Lord. Don't make me change my plans. I'll go to church when I want. I'll not practice the self-discipline I need to in reading the Word of God. I'm not going to, as the Scripture says, devote myself to prayer. I'm not going to seek to be filled daily with His Holy Spirit, which, which results in what? Humbling ourselves, being thankful, being joyful. If you can't give thanks for your country right now, today, as it is where you are, then you're seeking to usurp God from His throne. Lastly, it places a burden on you that you cannot carry alone. Deifying yourself, finding yourself apart from the love of the Word of God and a fear of God, place, this type of godhood places a burden on you that you cannot carry alone. Ultimately, this type of government makes you responsible for all the evil that is perpetrated now. And you are liable for its judgment even if only in a shared sense. The problem with this country is not the fault of those people there. The problem with this country is you. That's the weight of a democracy upon the shoulders of its citizenry. You cannot carry that alone. What happens when the when the government of the people, by the people, for the people is separated from a love of the Scripture and a fear of God, the tyranny of an angry majority is yours to embrace, and that's the only way that can be ruled. When it's come to that, it's the only way that you'll win. When the love of the Word of God and a fear of God is removed, Otherwise, you will be kicked down and you will be oppressed and destroyed if you seek to rule without those things. The tyranny of an angry majority, and that's what we see happening in our country. It's simply the survival of the fittest. 
And that's a terrible place to be, especially when that type of responsibility is placed on your shoulders. Think about that. This tyranny of an angry majority. What was the French Revolution based on? Liberté, égalité, fraternité, right? Liberty and equality and brotherhood. But it was free. It was unshackled from the love of Scripture and the fear of God. And what did it turn into? A majority, uh, an angry majority that was tyranny. And the reign, it was known as the reign of terror, not the birth of freedom. And it is something too difficult for the person, the normal person to carry alone the weight of a country turned against God that you and I are responsible for. And the problem with democracy is that you and I can't just say, I'm not going to have anything to do with it. It's like a king that's born into his authority. Um, He can't just simply abdicate his throne. Back in the 1930s, King Edward VI abdicated his throne for a woman. Now, in America, all the people in America say, oh, that's so beautiful. He gave up his throne for for a woman. But in England, they had a more biblical sense uh, of understanding what happened. They said it was, it was terrible. It was, it was a betrayal of his duty before God. For a woman? He gave up the throne for a woman? You can't just give up this authority because it's too great a responsibility. That's a treachery. A treason to do that. To add now to your personal sin this responsibility. How can we see? How can we even carry this out? Not just your response to God for those things you've done wrong personally. But for what our country has done wrong. Is there any good news in this at all? How can this relate to the gospel at all. How does God do this? First of all, Jesus humbled himself and became a man. When men want to deify themselves, the God of heaven humbled himself and became a man. Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, let this mind be in you. The mind you need to have is the mind of Christ. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, he didn't think it robbery to to be equal with God, to use his attributes, but he humbled himself instead. He had the opportunity to rule in any fashion he chose, but he humbled himself and he became a man. All in this time, all in this era, when we are deifying ourselves, God, became a man. And there's a call for you to consider the attitude of Jesus Christ. Peter said, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and He will raise you up at the proper time. Secondly, what else do we see? Jesus will reign triumphant. The gods of Jesus' day rejected Him. But they could not overthrow Him. God's plan in this The rulers of Israel sought to reject him and get rid of him. They sought to hold on to that power for themselves. When they saw him, they ought to have said, Lord, this is yours. It's yours to rule. Here it is. 
Jesus told a parable about them, about a man who lent out a vineyard. The vineyard was Israel to some vine growers. The vine growers were the leaders of Jesus' day. And it says when the, when the owner, when God sent to the, to the vine growers, men, prophets, to them to say, give me the fruit of my vineyard. It says they mistreated them and hurt them. And he said, the owner said, I know what I'll do. I will send my beloved son. They will listen to him. And what did the vine growers say when they saw him? They said, here is the heir. Let us kill him. And then the vineyard will be ours. And Jesus quotes from the Old Testament. And he said, why is it written? The stone which the builders rejected became the chief of the building, the chief cornerstone of the building. You tried to reject me, you builders, you rulers, but I'm going to be the king of kings and the Lord of lords. They could not overthrow him. Peter, in Acts chapter 4, when he was confronted by the rulers, he, said, he quoted that very same verse. He said, what the builders, you, the builders rejected. You rejected Jesus, but God raised him from the dead. He died for our sin. He humbled himself and became a man so that he could die in your place, in my place, not only for our personal sins, but for our corporate sins as a nation so that we might come to him. When they crucified him, they thought they got their own way. The devil thought he won, but his father turned it around and raised his son from the dead and won that victory over death and hell. The stone the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Jesus humbled himself and became a man. Jesus will reign triumphant because his death and resurrection makes him Lord of both the living and the dead. And thirdly, Jesus will give you rest from your burden. You don't have to carry that weight alone. You don't have to look at the sin piled up upon you and against you. Never mind the weight of corporate sin, but your personal sin. Are you in angst or anguish over your personal sin? Do you feel the weight of it? Jesus promised he would give you rest for your burden. Those who realize the heaviness of it. He said in Matthew chapter 11, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I'm gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your soul. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Come to him by faith. Receive him. And if you are in this midst of pride, humble yourself before the Lord. Seek after Him. Seek His face. And if you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, you can receive Him today. You can come to Him. You can say, Lord, I need Your salvation. He promises that whoever will call on His name will be saved. And if you're without Christ, would you come today during our invitation time so that you might be saved. Somebody will pray with you to receive Christ as your Savior. So let's pray together.
Father, we bless you and praise your name. We thank you, O God, for your mercy to us. Holy is your name, O God. Holy, holy, holy. You've given us, O Lord, this country. We thank you, O God, for it. We thank you, Lord, for the freedoms that we've enjoyed for so long. And yet we see the tyranny of those who are decoupled from a love of your word and a fear of you who will destroy each other. Father, we pray that you would give us opportunity to hasten your coming, to reach out to those around us with the gospel of Jesus Christ in humility and not in pride. Oh, Father, we pray and thank you for this day, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand. We're going to sing, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. As we take this time to sing, do you need to deal with the Lord? Do you need to take some time to pray and seek His face? Or are you without Him? and need him. You come as we begin to sing on that first verse. Oh soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior and life more Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace, though death into life Let's close in prayer before I do. Um, so our picnic, if you're staying for the picnic, if you're planning on that, will be downstairs. We'll spend some time together there. Uh, also, for those who are helping with planning of next week's service outside, um, if you're in charge of ushers, security, sound, uh, if you are part of planning that, uh, I need to talk to you no more than five minutes, uh, as a matter of fact, much less. Um, Right after I pray, right up here, please come. Uh, you come forward, uh, even as I'm praying uh, to avoid the rush. Father, we thank you for this day, for your love for us and mercy. Uh, great are you, O Lord, and greatly to be praised. Thank you for this day, for your Holy Spirit to watch 
over us, we pray, Father, that you give us wisdom in how to live as citizens of this country in a unique situation never known in, in past ages, uh, this democracy, this re- constitutional democratic republic. God, help us as those who are responsible to elect officials, to pray for our nation, to care for the things in our government. Father, help us. Help us to be as you'd have us to be, as your people. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed. <laughs>